Welcome to this episode of the Security Clearance Careers Podcast, ClearCast, your source for security clearance, intelligence community, espionage, national security, and defense contracting updates in our exclusive interviews with intelligence community and government leaders. Hello, hello, and thank you for tuning in to this episode of ClearCast. I'm Katie, and you know me. Uh, Today, we're going to be chatting with Brad of the amazing soft rock band Silence and Light. So the band started in 2017, and they're really special because the members all draw on their experiences as special operations veterans. So they were founded, obviously, to create some killer rock music, but also to raise awareness about some of the issues that veterans face, which is very important to clearance jobs. So they're also committed to giving back, which is something that I love. And the band has contributed to Warrior's Heart and the Marine Raider Foundation specifically. So we'll get into those organizations a little bit and a campaign that we're going to be running for November. So Brad, thank you so much for joining me today. Absolutely. Thank you, Katie, for having me on. And uh, it's great to get on a new platform and talk to new people and, you know, common interests and backgrounds and everything else. So thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, it's funny, I will mention. So the reason we were connected Someone had sent your information over after a meme that I put together with one of your band members, Jason. So that went viral and everybody was like, well, you got to talk to Brad. Oh, that's funny. They show up all the time. And then it's, it's interesting because social media, and you probably know this to some degree, you feel like you're beating a dead horse with anything that you post and try and let people know. And the reality is people are only seeing like a 10th of what you put out. So they don't necessarily get all the information. So there's this fine line between posting something that's information to let people know and going overboard with that. And so I'm always kind of walking that line to this day. And literally today I had people that were sending me Jason when he was playing with Nirvana videos and they sent me via DM And then they said, uh, hey, did you ever get a chance to run across this cat in your, you know, military career? And I'm like, dude, the bandmate, like, you follow me, you know, it's not like, it's not like we're we're two ships passing in the night, you know, like, (laughs) you follow me, you see everything that I post, so. Yeah, no, well, that's another conversation is all of the, the funny people you come across on social media. So today, let's talk about your story, starting all the way from joining the military. Tell us, how did it go? How, what, what motivated you? What happened there? Let's see. How long do we have? Uh, as long as it takes. <laughs> I, got, I got a cup of joe. Because okay. I can, I can uh, long wind this or I can uh, get to the point. So in December of 1989, and this isn't something that I realized necessarily until just kind of recently in talking about this, but in December of 1989, three things happened. And one of them was the invasion of Panama and the Rangers jumped into Rio Hato and Trace Tacumen uh, airfields in Panama in support of Delta Force coming in and capturing Manuel Noriega. And I saw some of that on the news. The band that I was playing in at the time and really was trying to like ramp up and do something in the DC area. And there were a lot of really well-known bands that we were kind of falling in their footsteps and could have 
slid in and dumped something and it just kind of fell apart. So that was, that was the second thing. And it kind of left me with a, you know, do I rebuild this? Do I take three years? I'm 20 years of age. You know, do I take three years to rebuild another band with a fractured members of this group? And, you know, who knows how long it's going to take and all that, or do I try something new? And the third thing that happened was I had a friend, a high school buddy that had joined the Air Force, and I hadn't seen him since he joined. So he had gone through basic training and AIT, so his MOS, Military Occupational Specialty School, and then he was home for like Christmas vacation. And it could have been December, it could have, that could have been January, I don't remember exactly. And he told me about these guys that came recruiting for a special unit in the Air Force that jumped in behind enemy lines and rescued down pilots. And I was like, wow, that sounds kind of cool. So between the Ranger thing, the band falling apart, and then this Air Force, you know, kind of special mission thing, that was that was kind of where my mind frame was at that time. Sure. Well, so did you finish out with Air Force? or So tell us about your journey through there. Yeah, so um, I originally went and talked with the Air Force recruiter, and he was giving me a load of BS saying that he could get me a contract. And at that time, I don't know if they do now, so I, I, I don't want to speak to what joining the Air Force is like in 2021. But in 1989, 1990, I think 1990, very beginning was when I was talking with the guy, they couldn't give you a contract. And so the guy kept lying to me saying, well, if you just sign up and I'll take care of the paperwork and make sure that you get the opportunity, you know, and I'll give you something in writing which was all BS. And so I went back and forth with the recruiter for probably a month and, you know, would go up there and see him and would leave disappointed and would go see him. And I just wanted to be given the opportunity to try. And I didn't know anything about the military. Um, my fear was I would be in the middle of basic training and they would say, oh, hey, Thomas, we need a cook in Alaska and you're a good cook. So off you go. And you know, I didn't know anything about it. So anyway, I was leaving one day and the army recruiter was like, hey, what are you doing here, man? And I said, well, I'm talking with this Air Force cap and he won't guarantee me anything. He won't give me anything in writing. And he goes, I can give you whatever you want in writing today. What do you want to do? And I said, I want to be in Delta Force. And he goes, well, you can't do that. You got to do something first, like special forces. And I said, okay, I'll do that. And he said, well, you can't do that either. You got to be something before that, like a ranger. And I said, okay, I'll do that. And he said, I can give you a, a ranger contract today. And that's, that's what started that whole process. Wow. How things could have been so different. Don't you think if you would have waited around for the BS to come true? Yeah. I don't think that it ever was going to. And I think even I kind of saw through that, but you know, that that's one of the things I get asked a lot about through social media and kids hitting me up and asking me about, you know, what do you think? Should I do this thing or should I do that thing? And I, you know, I tell them all the same thing. You just have to do what's right for you. I just wanted to be guaranteed the right to try. And I, I understood that, you know, I may not make it, obviously, or, you know, I could get hurt and then therefore never be able to attend. But I just wanted to be guaranteed the right to at least be able to try something and not, you know, get farmed out to some other job that I didn't want to do. Well, so Army Ranger then, 
what what happened from there? So I went through, I didn't even know this, but I was uh, given a ranger contract. And, you know, there are things that happen from time to time, world events that change contracts or change, you know, anything that's guaranteed isn't really guaranteed. Um, I signed in the army in, I'll say, May of 1990. And over that summer, I couldn't get in until November of 90. Um, everything was like a delayed enlistment. There was no sign up and leave the next day for basic training because the military at that time, they were downsizing and you know we weren't engaged in war. It was a different military. And most of the people that joined the military at that time were, were there for college money, really. So uh, anyway, I signed in May. I couldn't get in until November. And over that summer of 1990 is when Desert Shield kicked off, which was kind of America's build up to what would become Desert Storm. So over the summer, the floodgates opened and they, they recognized that, hey, we need more people. We could be in an extended war with Iraq. Who knows what's going to happen? So all of a sudden it was like they let everybody in. So I got to basic training and I was, uh, infantry was my MOS. So I went to basic training. I went to AIT for infantry, which was kind of the same thing as basic training. <laughs> I didn't really understand that there was a difference at the time. Then I went to airborne school and then I went to a three week long ranger indoctrination program, which was just like massive hazing and physical activity and things like that. And then at the end, you get assigned to a ranger battalion. And that takes me to, we'll say, uh, April of 1991. That is when I got assigned to a B Company 3rd Ranger Battalion. Okay. So, uh, you know, working through, you know, your career in the military, a lot of the clearance jobs audience, you know, having a security clearance is the biggest eligibility requirement. And so that naturally is a lot of folks coming out of the military. So what what pain points do you recall when you finally did sort of get back into the civilian world? How, how, how did that work out for you? Well, interestingly, let's just because you touched on the clearance piece, I remember in, in the Ranger Regiment at that time, and probably is still the case, they don't have time to process all the security clearances for guys that are coming in that may not even be there in three weeks. So they they kind of go and they do a, a, a pretty quick background check on you and kind of get your clearance up and running and I think grant you an interim, you know, secret sure. clearance or something along those lines. And then they refine that over the years. I, I spent... Four years in the Ranger, five years in the Ranger Battalion. I deployed to Mogadishu as a part of Black Hawk Down, and then later went to a recon detachment within the Ranger Regiment and did that for about three years and then ultimately ended up in Delta Force and spent 12 years there. And that's where I retired from and uh, was granted a you know TSSCI, Gamma, super crazy, whatever. Uh, sure. Security clearance. So just throw that out there because maybe people would want to know how that works. So pain points exiting the military? Is that the question? Yeah. Everybody has them. Everybody says, well, they may have changed, but I'm sure there is some that, that you know, when you transitioned out that folks are feeling today. Sure. I, th I think the commonality is this feeling or loss of identity you know, and the thing that we did and sacrificed to be for as long as however long we did it, it's no longer who you are. It might be a part of 
who you are, but it's not any longer, you know, this isn't the thing that I identify with. So I think the thing that stood out to me was kind of going into the whole retirement process. And I, I did 20 years and retired in 2010. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to shit talk the retirement process in 2010 as if it's the same in 2021. But really, I think it's it's mostly the same. I mean, the military, their job is to bring in new recruits, get them trained and go fight wars. It's not to make you feel good about your service. It's not to, you know give you $50,000 a day for, you know, the most lavish counseling and spa treatments, right? It's the military is built to go fight wars. That's what it's intended to do. So I recognize going into the transition process that number one, I'm going to lose my identity. Who am I now? You know, what motivates me? How can I gain this sense of purpose that I've felt for the last 20 years of sacrificing and war fighting and and things like that. And then the other was recognizing that like nobody owes me anything. I'm not a victim. I signed up to do this. And, you know, what's what's the best avenue? So when when I think of retiring the pain points for me as an example, I moved to Manhattan from Fort Bragg, North Carolina, where I'd spent 12 years. And I was promised this amazing health care that is free. And you can just go to any, well, that's not the way that it works. When you're coming from a special mission unit, everything is done for you. You don't have to go outside of the compound to do anything, whether it's pay, finance, transportation, nothing. Everything is kind of self-contained. And so I tell people, especially coming from that world, you don't have any experience working the system and understanding how the system works because it's all done for you. And so in that regard, a specialist in the 82nd Airborne that goes to Womack and understands how that process works probably is better skilled at the process than a sergeant major with 35 years in the Army that's been in Delta Force for 20 years. And so it it really is kind of understanding, you know, what you're up against and that you're, you're now responsible for you, you know? Well, and, you know, serving for 20 years, even how the system outside of that compound that you're living in uh, has changed. I mean, that's two decades that, you know, not that you're, you know, (laughs) away from the world. I mean, you still have access to it, but that's, that's a while that's to catch up. Yeah. I moved to, moved to New York city and, was having uh, chest pains and had to figure out how to get to a doctor, how that even worked. It cost me $47 to park my Jeep at the parking garage just to go see the doctor. You know, like that's not reimbursable. My doctor took a look, you know, this guy's never seen me before. And the first thing he said was like, how long have you been using cocaine? And I was like, I don't use cocaine. Like, I just came from this special place that doesn't even really exist. And this guy is accusing me of things that I hadn't done in, you know, 25 years. Sure. So anyway, (laughs) yeah, since I was a teenager, but anyway, um, it just kind of figuring out that whole process. And, you know, that was uh, a huge pain in the ass. So if, if you're retiring in Fayetteville, North Carolina, pretty much every doctor in North Carolina takes human and military or TRICARE or whatever, whatever they're calling it today. Um, if you move out to the middle of Montana, it might be a different situation. So 
healthcare and just understanding the system and who to call, you know, I didn't, I didn't, it's not like I had a list of, of contact numbers like, oh, call this person. And if you have a problem here, what happens if you lose your military ID? What happens if, you know, something is damaged? Where do, where do I go to do that? I don't know. Like, right. it's not like <laughs> there's some, here's who you call if you live here. And then trying to get onto any sort of government website, it's like, imagine everything being run by the people that run the DMV. It's just sure. incredibly sure. not functional, bureaucratic, big websites down, you know, all that stuff. So those are the things more so than, than any trauma I faced, like carrying baggage with me out of the military. It was more of the admin pieces that really annoyed me. And I, I don't even use the military healthcare as an example. Like I get that covered through other means, but it's just too big of a pain in the ass where I live. Mm -hmm. The logistical nightmare of it all, I suppose. Well, so Not to be a downer. Be a downer. <laughs> <laughs> healthcare like, run by the DMV. That sounds like a nightmare. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, so let, let's talk about the music. Let's talk about Silence and Light. So obviously motivated you to create the group. You're all, you know, special operations background. So let's talk about that journey and, you know, when you started that back in 2017. Yeah, so I, I did a lot of stuff for a few years, you know, helping design things and, and stuff. And it was a very lucrative thing that I was doing, but it wasn't fulfilling me in terms of you know giving back to the community or how do I feel the same type of importance that I felt while I was serving. Um, and even so, it connected me to my the unit that I was had been assigned to. It connected me to other people in the military and other service members and things like that. So it was it was enjoyable and rewarding, but not in the same way. And it like it wasn't enough for me. So every week, my wife and I would do like a happy hour, you know, date night, Friday night, have a couple of cocktails, go out and get something to eat. And every week we would talk about, you know, a myriad of things other than than me, but we would always end up talking about, you know, like, I feel like I'm a ship out on the ocean, and I'm just looking for the light, like, just tell me what to do. And how can I help? I don't want to start a foundation. I don't want to ask people for money and I want to keep money completely separate from, from anything that I do, but how can I give back to the community? And every week we would kind of discuss different things. And one day, you know, as you can see, I've got like an entire room in my house, which is kind of like a home studio, but I've got a whole other wall of amplifiers and stacks of guitars and other guitars back here and everything else. One day she says, you know, it's a shame that you're not using this stuff. And not that I didn't play, not that I didn't play all the time, but it didn't really hit me when she said it. But the next day I was driving into the city to meet one of my bandmates now, Jason Everman, the guy that was in the Rangers the same time I was in, and he was in Nirvana and Soundgarden uh, prior to joining the army when he joined in 1994. Anyway, I was driving to meet him for a concert and I started thinking about it like, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask Jason if he wants to do something musically and maybe we could take the proceeds, however that happens, and give those to like organizations that we believe in or foundations or whatever it might be and approached him with it. You know, we before the concert, we're hanging out, having some cocktails and, 
you know, said, hey, man, I know you've been out of the music business for a long time, but, you know, is there is there opportunity for us to do something and, and do this? And he was like, absolutely. So that's kind of where it started. I started a social media page within a few days of that and just tried to let people know as best I could, hey, here's what I'm doing. And it just started to grow organically. I had a Marsoc operator hit me up and say, hey, I'm just retired and are just separated from the Marine Corps. And man, I don't know what you got going on, but I want to be a part of it. And, you know, it just started to grow from there all the way to the point of, you know, multi Grammy award winning producer hitting me up saying, you know, hey, I'm a veteran, too. I'd love to help out. What can I do? That's so awesome. And I think what they call it is where art meets activism, artivism. You know, you, you, you're building, you know, you have this creative side, obviously played before the military, like you said, and now you're finding a way to actually be productive in sort of an activist, altruistic sort of way. It's very cool. And it's very cool that a bunch of other people wanted to get involved just knowing that you guys had a background in the military as well. Yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting because I don't, I don't think most people understand this about musicians or bands, but like it's a machine. There are so many people involved with it that nobody sees from the people that are doing the design for, you know, graphic design stuff or merchandise or for album covers or for teaser videos for music or, you know, all of that kind of thing to producers, to mixers, to the people that are mastering, you know, it's everybody and every step of the way has gone out of their way to be accommodating and get it done for us and help out and reduce the cost slightly, you know, but that's one of the things is like, this isn't free. We don't ask people for money. We're basically putting up the money to make the albums. And all we're saying is if you buy a song or you buy an album, or even if you stream it, you're contributing because we're taking all of our uh, music royalties, and we're contributing those to different charitable organizations. So we're not asking you for money. If you buy a song or you buy the record, first of all, if you sell something on iTunes for like 99 cents, as an example, you get about 63 cents. So you don't get the full amount. But if you're streaming music, you're obviously not paying for it the same way. So if people want to contribute more, they should buy the album, buy the song, that's going to that's going to contribute significantly more than streaming it you know but that's a part of the deal it's like if you sell stuff on iTunes you also have to be on Apple Music you're on Spotify we're on all those platforms if people buy merchandise on the website then that's that's a way that they can help the band at least kind of recoup some of the costs um, i think the last album cost us about 35 grand to record yeah. You know, and what we recoup in terms of royalties and things like that, it's not even close. So, um, you know, again, it's like if people want to buy music, they're going to contribute more significantly than if they stream it. But we wanted people to have access to the music and not not hold it out and say, oh, you can only buy a CD or you can only least that way it proliferates more and you guys have some pretty cool merch i might say but so sort of talking about you know the nonprofit piece so earlier this summer clearance jobs we love nonprofits. 
I think it's a great combination of for-profit and non-profit that makes the world go around. We all play our part. But earlier this summer, we ran a campaign with the American Legion. For every podcast subscriber we receive, we donated a dollar to their cause. So we're teaming up with Silence and Light to do the same for November. For those organizations that you also give back to constantly. So let's talk a little bit about Warrior's Heart. Tell me a little bit about those organizations, what they do, um, and why you believe in them so much. Sure. So again, kind of going backwards a little bit, you know, I didn't want to ask people for money. I didn't want to make this like, hey, give me your money and then I'm going to do this with it or anything like that. I felt like there were enough good causes out there and enough things that were supporting veterans and first responders and folks like that, that I felt like needed support. So I didn't want to start my own thing. Warrior's Heart is uh, super near and dear to me. First of all, the intent was that each band member would have like their, their own cause, right? And so we would divide the royalties five ways and each one would contribute you know, to their cause. And that turned into, I do all the media. So I didn't want to talk about five different causes. And so we reduced that to uh, two just to make it easier. Um, but anyway, Warrior's Heart was near and dear to me because it's a physical facility that's in Texas. I think they're getting ready to open a, another facility elsewhere. They treat not only veterans, but first responders and anybody who's kind of like, you could be a nurse that dealt with COVID patients dying for the better part of a year. And you could go there and get, you know, PTSD counseling and things like that, too. It's a physical place and they deal with the the addiction or a you know, alcohol abuse or substance abuse issues, they kind of deal with that first. And then they start PTSD counseling and then they use art as a form of therapy. And that's the part that I love, whether it be uh, creating music and writing music or sculpting or painting or writing, uh, they use art as a form of therapy. And that's very much a lot of what I do with the music that I write. It's, it's not downer music by any means, but it's, it's deeper stuff. It's not just talking about going out and strippers and blow and, sure. you know, stuff like that. So anyway, I, that, that really resonated with me in the fact that it wasn't just for veterans, because I feel like, you know, to say only veterans deal with a PTSD is a misnomer. So Warrior's Heart, everyone should check them out. Buy music from Silence and Light because they donate royalties to those organizations and then subscribe to our podcast because Clearance Jobs wants to get in on it. We're going to donate a dollar for every subscriber we receive for the month of November. You, I believe, have some some goals on the horizon to record another album. Is that right? Yeah. So album two, you know, world events have kind of slowed us down, you know, slowed us down a little bit. We were ready to record album two in January of this year, 2021. And, you know, COVID happened and that started to slow things down and made it more difficult for us to get together, to rehearse, to record, all that stuff. So um, we're getting ready, I think, within the next five weeks or so to go in and record album two. That should drop in December, hopefully December 2021. One of the good things that COVID did was it allowed me to kind of keep writing music. And so the album that we had written that we were going to record in January, I've already like rewritten and we've had like a ton of music to pick from. So, you know, I, I talk about the first album 
I'm super critical of it because I think I have to be, but it was all we could do. We had a mark on the wall where a Grammy award-winning producer volunteered his time to help produce the album. And he could do it at this, you know, this time. And uh, he's, he's Justin Bieber's producer, uh, Celine, like Bad Bunny, these huge artists. I mean, absolutely huge artists. So he's a pretty busy cat. And it was all we could do to kind of get the first album done in time to get into the studio to record it. And the luxury we've had due to COVID was we were able to kind of let the music mature a little bit. And, you know, so everything is much, I don't know. I just feel like it's way better. It's more mature. It's more of who we are. It sounds more like us. We've kind of really defined, you know, what we sound like and what our music is like and everything else. So it took doing the first album to get to that point. You know, you have to have a start point and then you can adjust from that. But, um, you know, some of the guys were like, let's not record yet. Let's wait, you know, that type of thing. And I've always been like, let's just get it done. And once we get it done, we can adjust from there, but we've got to like, at least prove that we are the real deal that we can do this and we've done it and, uh, and it's working, you know? So, we're psyched about the second album. We're redoing all the merchandise. So there'll be more merchandise in addition to the stuff that we currently sell on our website. And, you know, I tell people they can Google silence on light. You'll find, you know, us all over the place, whether it's other uh, podcasts or social media stuff or articles or interviews or things like that. It's pretty much everywhere. Our music's available everywhere, anywhere that you would normally get music. Um, and the only thing, I think that we're going to do slightly different this time. I think we're going to do some vinyl. Um, nice. And I think, nice. you know, kind of in addition to, and I think on the vinyl, there'll be like some download codes for like songs that we don't release on the album that'll only be available if you have like certain download codes. So, and again, anything, anything like that, we're going to hopefully be able to take and give hundred percent of that to these you know, charitable organizations that we believe in. Wonderful. I'm so stoked to listen to it. I'm excited to see how the sound has changed. Uh, I mean, it's been, uh, it's been a couple years since your first one. Yeah. So I'm excited yeah. to hear this next one. I think we may also do a giveaway. We may also have some, some uh, clearance jobs merch, maybe some silence and light merch that we're going to do a giveaway. So everybody stay tuned Everyone, this is Brad Thomas, wonderful band member, founding member of the band Silence and Light. So I wanted to close any advice for our brothers and sisters, especially through the news, transitioning from the military, coming back home, just trying to get through the day. Anything you want to share with our audience who's listening? You know, specifically with separating from the military or the service or your job, really, it's I, I heard a podcast with a comedian, Jay Moore, who was on Saturday Night Live, like back in the 90s. And I ended up doing Jay Moore's podcast uh, maybe two years ago. And it was interesting because I heard, you may not remember the show Family Ties, uh, Justine Bateman, Jason Bateman's sister, was on the show. And she wrote this book, and it was, uh, it was called maybe Fall from Fame. And it was really the same thing that veterans face but she faced as an actress. And here she was a household name for the better part of, you know, 10 years. And once Family Ties went into syndication, she was everywhere, every day, she's on TV. And all of a sudden, like, that's it, there's no more. You're not, 
you're not on TV anymore. You're not, you're nobody now. Who are you? And you're because you're older and now you don't look like the person that you look like when you were on the show, then that changes things. And so it was really her talking about all the same things that I felt. And I knew that other people felt. And uh, anyway, so all of that to say, you know, you're not a victim. The only person who's going to take care of you is you. And the only person that's going to help the whole veteran community get better is veterans. It's not it's not somebody else. Nobody's going to swoop in and make this all better. So it's it's us taking care of each other. It's us helping one another. And the whole reason I'm doing what I'm doing is to be an example to say, hey, I lived through Black Hawk Down. I did eight deployments to combat zones, was involved in a lot of crazy shit, gunfights, you name it. And if I can do this, then you can do it too. And really to be an example to people to say, look, you know, Find whatever works for you. Find a means to give back. That'll make you feel a whole lot better about things. And, uh, you know, the substance abuse is the other key piece of that. Like, that got to stop that, you know. Sure. But sure. anyway, that's that's it. Wonderful. Well, good advice. It is up to you, but it's up to you as an individual. What may work for you? Maybe doesn't work for anybody else. Everyone, this is Brad Thomas, founding member, guitarist for the soft rock band Silence and Light. We're going to be doing quite a bit with them this month. So we're going to do other promos around our campaign where we're going to donate a dollar to the warrior's heart. So as always, to soak up more military or veterans career advice, visit news.clearstops.com.